If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to an extremely special episode of HRN Happy Hour. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, HRN's Executive Director. If you've been online, you may have spotted that we just launched HRN's new visual identity and website. After two years of planning and fundraising to make this happen, we're beyond thrilled to share it with our community and the world. The world's pioneer food radio station has a new look, but we're telling the same delicious stories. To give you some behind-the-scenes insight into the redesign process, my colleague Kat Johnson and I sat down with the iconic Pentagram designers who reconceptualized HRN's visual identity. The interview was recorded in December 2020, shortly after the visual design phase of the project was completed. Since then, we've been hard at work on our new website, and I hope you're having fun exploring it. Without further ado, here's the interview. Welcome to this special presentation of Heritage Radio Network. I'm Kat Johnson, the Communications Director at HRN, and I'm here with my colleague and friend, Katie Mosman-Wadler, who is our Executive Director. Hi, Katie. Hi, Kat. Okay, so today this is really, really exciting, and we're going to be talking to Paula Scher and Jeff Close, who have been working with us on our major, major redesign and identity project for HRN. So we're going to jump in and introduce you to Paula and Jeff. So first up, Paula Scher is one of the most influential graphic designers in the world. Described as the master conjurer of the instantly familiar, Cher straddles the line between pop culture and fine art in her work. Iconic, smart, and accessible, her images have entered into the American vernacular. She has been a partner in New York, the New York office of Pentagram since 1991. She began her career as an art director in the 1970s and early 80s when her eclectic approach to typography became highly influential. You will recognize her work for the Public Theater, the Met Opera, MoMA, and many more cultural institutions. During the course of her career, Cher has been the recipient of hundreds of industry honors and awards. Truly, the list itself could take up all of our time today. In 2001, she was awarded the profession's highest honor, the AIGA Media. Um, her teaching career includes over two decades at the School of Visual Arts, along with positions at the Cooper Union, Yale University, and the Tyler School of Art. And lastly, Cher is featured in Abstract, The Art of Design, the Netflix documentary series about leading figures in design and architecture, which I highly recommend. It's well worth a watch. Thank you. So welcome, Paula. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. I want to kind of ask a kind of opening question for you. Um, before we introduce Jeff. But so in, in the documentary abstract, with which I have devoured, um, we get to learn a lot about your work designing album covers for huge musical acts. Basically, your design work is everywhere. And I'm curious if you think about design and identity for organizations and brands in the same way that you would think about designing an album cover. Actually, they're not terribly different because what you're doing is you're using a visual form to express another form. In the case of uh, HRN, for example, it's expressing 
content of a radio broadcast and comes to symbolize that. That's what a record cover becomes for an album. Wonderful. Okay, so next up, Jeff Close is a graphic designer from Toronto. He works alongside Paula at Pentagram and has designed for clients such as the New School, the Library of Congress, New Jersey Performing Arts Center, and many more. And in 2012, when he was a student at the School of Visual Arts, he designed, he started the design podcast, Listen Close. And in 2019, he founded and launched Crust Magazine, an online magazine that recognizes the collective meanings of our relationships and individual stories with food. So needless to say, we were really excited to work with Jeff, who clearly has a love of food, audio, and great design on this new identity project. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be here. So, yeah. So, Jeff, when Paula first told us that, um, you know, we were going to be working with you on this project, I, look, I looked up your work specifically with Crust Magazine, and I just immediately fell in love with that logo, which is a bread clip oriented to read as a big C. Um, I would love for you to talk a bit about that project, uh, how it came about, and the design behind it. Yeah. Um, so, I guess I've always had an interest in the food world and food culture. Um, so I wanted to think of a way to couple that interest with my uh, background as a designer. Um, it definitely became a much bigger task, um, you know, starting a, basically starting a company, starting a publication. Um, it was completely self-funded and I had the help of uh, only two other editors. Um, uh, but, you know, it was just kind of like a labor of love. Like I reached out to a bunch of writers who I thought did great work, did great writing um, and sort of wanted to launch something that felt um, current uh, with, you know, what we're talking about in the food world. Um, so it was definitely an interesting project to, you know, start and um, continue to evolve potentially in the future. Awesome. So Paul and Jeff, I want to kind of go back to when we all first met and I'm curious sort of as we began talking about what HRN's needs were going to be with a new uh, logo and identity, what were your impressions, your first impressions of, of the project? Well, it's, it's, it was an interesting project in that you really were cataloging things on your site and that the problem was that because of the nature of the scale of working on a, a place where you're showing a lot of product to a degree, which is what your podcasts are. They are things that you represent and you show that you really weren't serving the people who needed to get to that information well because the, the product itself was fighting the website. The website was you and the podcasts were individualistic. And the question was, how do you advance the, how do you balance the individualism against the collectivism of the site? And that was really, it was really a very specific problem that, that had to be overcome uh, largely through making HRNs simpler and more recognizable and giving the individual podcasts a method of joining HRNs look while retaining their individuality. Yeah, just to, you know, add on to that, um... I think that, you know, although you are a food specific podcast network, um, we felt, I would say it was important that your new logo, your new identity didn't hang on to any of the obvious food or radio, radio cliches, um, because I think your programming is much deeper than food. You know, I mean, it, that's the common thread, but the shows 
talk and cover advocacy and politics and personal stories. So, you know, having something clear and understandable felt like the right approach. This is Katie. Um, I, I wanted to ask a question early on in this conversation about the process and maybe for any of our listeners who haven't seen this episode of Abstract um, or who are not as familiar with Pentagram. So Pentagram's a design collective, right? There are many partners and designers and um, it's it's not dissimilar, I think, from HRN in that it's this network of, um, you know, connected but stylistically distinct designers and personalities. So what um, what was incredible for us was, of course, to just get this opportunity to work with Paula and Jeff. You know, for us as a small nonprofit, this was a huge deal. Um, you know, their design biography is absolutely astounding. And so I want to know a little bit about what did it mean for our design to come from Pentagram and sort of Jeff and Paula, how do you collaborate and how did you think about the early stages of this project and what did it mean to be part of Pentagram? Well, the this is a perfect Pentagram project because it is something that's public facing. Um, it is something where we actually like what you do, which is <laughs> oh, very important you. to us. It's, 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 it's um, you know, I like to take on projects into the team that we're proud to do, where we think, you know, the relationship with the organization matters, that we think that what we make and how we can make somebody better or help them connect to their audiences is of value to the general public as well as the client. Um, those are, those are things that matter to us a lot. So, you know, obviously we're NPR fans. Jeff is a foodie. I'm not especially, I eat anything. Um, but, but the reality of the situation is that you are exactly the perfect type of client for us. Um, and that, you know, you love what you make and what you do and you care about it and you want to be able to connect to your audiences. You wanted to make the site more accessible. You wanted to be able to have the public be able to come to the, the site and search your archives. I mean, all the things you wanted to do about it and what you needed to do about it were right. They were the, they were the right ask. And that I think the the tension, as I said, is against the collective, which is the site and the individuality of the, of the podcast. And what's the right balance so that the audience can understand you and understand the individual pieces equally. And that, that to me is a, it's a, it's a classic identity problem. It's really the brands against the sub brands. If you, if you want to categorize it that way and that, you know, our knowledge is in this kind of a situation is understanding how things work like hierarchies or what people see or what what kind of complication is too much complication and how do you keep something simple and make it vital and exciting. And that's that's what we can bring to the job. That's what we know. In terms of, of how we work, Jeff is my associate designer on my team, and we work together all the time. And this project was made for him because of his love of the project. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, over the years, like Paula said, like we've collaborated a lot over the years. And I think the best work that we've done together has been for clients that we have really connected with and that there has been, you know, not only collaboration between 
um, ourselves, like Paula and I, but collaboration between, you know, a client and ourselves. And I think that, you know, this is just another example of that. Can you talk about the resolution of that tension between the individual and the collective? Because, you know, at the outset of the project, we certainly, we could have had the option to say, okay, we've got 40 podcasts, um, you know, they're all going to have this uniform look and this uniform identity that's going to be part of the collective. Of course, that's not the direction that we went. And can you talk about that? Well, this this is so classic in in uh, places that are essentially organizing uh, lots of different versions of what I would describe simply as uh, pieces of um, either literature or uh, art, or it's like it's not really very different from, say, doing the public theater, if you consider that organization, because um, they're a place, but they make these individual plays. So, what is more important, the plays of the place? If you if you promote the plays and you put heavy money into the plays, then then you may have people go to an individual play but not become a member of the theater. And so you're you're balancing two interests and trying to make a connection. And, and your situation is the same. People are attracted to individual podcasters, but if they have an interest in one piece that that they think is interesting because they like say recipes, but there's here's a police a, a political piece about food distribution. That doesn't mean that you can have interest in both. So if you come to your site, you you expand your breadth, and that the site actually becomes, I think, bigger than the individual piece because it becomes the great connector. On the other hand, these podcasters and and pieces of writing uh, and uh, the caring about it are individualistic and that has to be maintained. There's authorship involved. You want to, you want to protect that authorship. Um, I would love to kind of circle back to, to what Jeff had said earlier about, um, you know, not wanting to create a logo or identity that was heavy handed in it looking like a food icon or a, or a podcast icon. And when people see the new logo design, it is sleek, it's clean, it's simple. It really is going to, it's, it's new. It's going to be recognizable as HRN. And, um, I would love to kind of hear you both talk a bit more about why, why like typography and that simplicity was the way to go for our organization. And, um, instead of something that was a little bit more, maybe literal, um, iconography. Your, your product does that to a degree. In other words, each of those individual podcast covers, which we, we found a way of letting them be, but labeling them with this simple mark that was HRN, was, was a, a way that you really expressed the diversity, diversity of what you're talking about with food. The idea that you would need the logo to do that too would be completely redundant. The logo needs to be recognizable. And it needs to be something that can you can adhere to the individual podcasts to make the connectivity. If we made food analogies or did something that was fairly cutesy, or if if you know, and and then in that capacity, in which direction are you showing, uh, you know, some kind of 
utensil or are you making some other food analogy? And then you may have a scientific, you know, podcast that's completely about how, you know, growing certain food products are, are, you know, damaging or not damaging the environment. You know, I mean, that this thing is too broad for that. So you, you, you put yourself in a box if you try to become too specific about food. Yeah. And I think also, um, you know, we, um, Paula did a bunch of um, interviews at the start of the project, and it seemed like everyone had their own way of saying um, Heritage Radio Network. Some said Heritage Radio, uh, Heritage, Heritage Radio Network, and HRN. Um, so HRN felt clear to us and streamlined, and it you know also helped us as designers to develop something with impact just because, you know, there are three letters that we simply have to juggle with. Um, and also, you know, so we're not just designing a logo. We have to also has, have to consider the space it lives in, right? So the space um, your identity lives in, it seemed important to design a logo that could hold up well at very small sizes when it's on artwork. Um, say on, you know, your apps, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or even on, you know, online. Um, so, you know, we wanted something clear um, that people could recognize and read. Also, the, the disadvantage in a way of um, the interview of, of people who are affiliated with HRM is that you're not talking about the next user who you don't know. and when I came to HRM, I didn't know about this this uh, network, and I would have guessed from your name that you showed old radio shows, that you were like playing old radio shows, um, you know, that you could get podcasts to, because it doesn't really, it doesn't really relate to food. You had a tree with some roots, I guess that was about growth, which makes sort of sense, but not terribly explanatory, and that. The wonderful thing about acronyms is that they become a, like a, a warehouse in a way, like a, a holding place to represent a lot of uh, content that's relatable, but also can be quite broad. So that was the advantage of making an acronym logo. Um, and then, of course, the letter forms were nice. So that made it even easier. On that note, can can you take it a step further and and for those who haven't seen the logo yet, can you describe what the, what the, what the new logo looks like? It's a positive and negative uh, configuration of HRN, where the H and the N are in positive, and the R is demonstrated by nearly the fill-in part of the R and a sense that there's a slant in the, um, the bottom of the R, and that is reading in sort of this this nice double entendre where you can see it and not see it. And it's uh, the letter forms are very blocky and heavy, and yet the thing feels light because the R becomes mysterious in the middle. Yeah, you know, that sh the R sharing that space with the H in there, and um, it creates that recognizability that I think you sort of need when you introduce a new identity. And we felt like it was the right amount of uniqueness without being, you know, too weird um, or too illegible. Um, but also there's that, uh, you know, serif on the top 
left of the R, which is good for us because, you know, I think the fun part about identity design is finding some sort of element or motif that's usually in the logo um, that can be played out and extended across the brand, you know, whether it's marketing materials, campaigns or whatnot. Um, and I think the, you know, that notch on the upper left corner of the R is one of those moments where you can, you know, have fun with it and use it on many different things. One thing that's, that's interesting when you design marks, which is HRN is, um, is that you need to find something that's a little bit disturbing in it. If you do, if you do something that's, that seems perfect or that doesn't have some surprise on it, it becomes sort of tired and, and boring very quickly. And the thing that is always disturbing or challenging in a mark is the thing that sort of gives it durability. And initially, it's the thing that everybody has a problem with when you show them. In other words, if you, when you make the thing and you build into, into it, that's our job, we know this. And that to get the group to coalesce around it is fantastic because that means it's really going to succeed. If it's too disturbing, it's going to fail. <laughs> And you're, you're trying to find that correct balance, which happened with this mark, I think, relatively quickly. You know, there were some minor adjustments and we looked at it this way and that way. But it's this, this, the thing with the disappeared R is, is, is the very thing that makes the mark good. I, I think that, that echoes in sort of our response. So in our process with you, you all presented us with three options as sort of our first um, the first meeting where we actually saw some designs, there were three really, really distinct identities. And two of them had in common that they were big block letters, HRN. And initially, we were drawn to the first one, which was like a very solid um, representation in a beautiful font that evoked some emotion, but was, um, you know, it was very straightforward of like three letters in a dark uniform color and I think we felt that tension of you know this last option that we saw was the one we wound up choosing but we we saw it and we thought like wow this is really modern is this us like that we we weren't sure and then it took probably a week for our entire team to get back and then we had actually a surprising consensus where we all sort of abandoned the one we initially felt comfortable with you know it's funny because it was in fact designed to do that like the, the the stack version is is was very beautiful and sleek but it had nothing about it that was sort of off it was it was it was too normal in a way it's, it was just a very pretty modern logo but i don't i don't think memorable in the end i think you made the right choice well thank you yeah. thank you <laughs> <laughs> um is, is there, and, and no pressure to say yes to this, I'm just curious, in thinking about the, you know, the logo we ultimately chose, is there any kind of reference or symbolism in having that um, uh, negative space or transparent R in the middle? They, there's not, it's not specifically the transparent part that is symbolic in any way, that the, the, really the notion of of doing the opposites, which is positive and negative, is to demonstrate diversity. That that these 
that the things that you're that you're getting on this on the site, the podcasts, they're all diverse. They're not they're not the same. It's not a rubber stamp. So you have a bunch of things in line because they belong together, but one of them is, is completely opposite from the one next to it. We'll continue our conversation with Paula and Jeff in just a moment after this short break. HRN is excited to unveil the new look of Food Radio. We have a new brand identity and a new website. Our site makes it easier than ever to discover new podcasts and dig through our archive of 15,000 episodes. It's been 12 years since HRN started broadcasting Food Radio, and we've made it this far thanks to the support of our global listening community. It's because of member donations that HRN broadcasts 40 weekly shows. Your contributions gave HRN the security needed to stay on the airwaves during the pandemic, and they're allowing us to reopen our studio. Becoming a monthly sustaining member of HRN shows how much food radio means to you. At HRN, we're investing in the future of food radio. To do the same, become a monthly sustaining member. A gift of $5 or $10 a month gives our community the consistent stability it needs to keep the voice of America's food movement alive and thriving. Become a monthly sustaining member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. And thank you. Welcome back to HRN Happy Hour. I'm just curious if, I mean, obviously we are living in a very weird 2020 strange time. We essentially had... Um, some of our team had a meeting in person with Paula like the week before um, we all had to go home and start working remotely. So I'm just curious. I mean, this essentially the entirety of this project, we have been doing it remotely. Um, how has it been, you know, working on projects at Pentagram? How has your team been sort of handling um, work from home and trying to collaborate when normally you would all be, you know, in, in a shared space working together. What's, what's been different about it this year? Well, it's, this was, um, I think for me, it was very trying because, because I really don't like operating technology and I like being around my team. And often it was frustrating because there are things that if I was sitting next to Jeff, and we're, we're working on something, I could point something out to him in a second where we would end up doing things where we're share, trading emails back and forth and iPhone shots and you know, Zoom calls and whatever to try to get something designed. And very often it's something that would take a very short period of time. So that, that part I found frustrating, but the reality is that I had to put together um, we have, we have biannual partners meetings and at every other partners meeting, each of the partners show, shows work and it was my turn. And so I put together work we were working on before COVID and after, and I didn't notice any difference in the quality. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, I don't think, I don't think the quality at all has, you know, changed in terms of what we've done. Um, this year, um, and the relationship I have with Paula working, um, you know, Paula and I, like I said, we've collaborated over several years now. So communication and, you know, trust between us was established a while ago. So I think, um, you know, aside from the, you know, the technological, um, you know, hardships, I would say, <laughs> Um, 
it's just been, we've been working, you know, the same way we've been doing the same, same things, um, pre pandemic. Um, but I would, I would say that like, if we go outside, you know, outside of pentagram, um, and in general, it would be interesting to, you know, look back on this year and see what, you know, the design community in general um, has done and how it's changed. I would probably suspect that it's, you know, become more personal. I mean, you know, there have been so many events um, and things that have happened this year, um, aside from the pandemic, that have just coincided with it. Um, and I, I feel like people have been largely more vocal about it. Um, so that I think that's, you know, something else that's interesting. Um, uh, but like Paula said, you know, aside from, you know, I think there's just like the social aspect of design is different now. Like you're no longer meeting in person with your team or even clients. So it, it just feels a bit different. It, it's, it's the social aspect that changed. Um, not the, te- not the actual physical designing aspect of some things take frustratingly long and other, <laughs> other things, other things don't. And that if you know the people, see where, where I feel the difference is, is if you're talking about what somebody's making, uh, on their own or within the political times, P- so many people are working on their own and they're working at home more so that, you know, I think, I suspect people will find personal voices largely because of that. Uh, it, and I don't know what's going to happen to the job market in general for designers. You know, if I don't, there are a lot of people laid off and I don't know where they're going. And if they're having uh, the ability to find jobs as good as the ones they had when they were laid off. I mean, a lot of places like that, there are people furloughed all over the place. So it's hard to know what this does to the whole community. Um, I think the the political times have been so infuriating that you know the kind of discourse that would you know manifest itself in work seems like something somebody would do in that in that kind of a situation, um, and they'd be motivated to do it. But but I can't tell what happens to this profession this time. Everybody asks. Yeah, it's been um, just the most like eventful whirlwind of, uh, you know, events stacked upon events. Um, (laughs) How are you two coping? We are, uh, what, like eight months into this. Um, Your jobs are creative. Your lives are creative. Have you found new sources of joy or inspiration in, uh, in 2020 during the pandemic during everything that's been going on. You want to take that one, Jeff? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I would say it's, it's I, honestly, I think it is inspiring. Um, I think this year has been inspiring in some way, you know, just to see the amount of people being vocal about, you know, social issues or political issues. Um, it It has made me and makes me want to do um, you know, more work geared towards that area. Um, you know, like spending so much time at home, um, it can kind of drive you crazy. So you really have to like, and especially like, you know, I'm on the computer all day. Right. Um, 
I mean, Paula is too. It's just kind of, I don't know, it can be, it can be draining, you know, you're not just, you're not just designing your, you're like on Zoom meetings, it's exhausting. Um, I mean, a lot of people are, so you kind of have to find that, you know, whether it's that thing you watch on TV that you never could before, or I don't know, some kind of other inspiration or doing something else, you you have to, you know, stay inspired and stay motivated, I would say. <laughs> well, I found actually the reverse to be true. You know, I'm, I'm a painter. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. I paint very large scale maps. I've been painting them for 20 years. They're political um, and I sell them. I'm very in galleries and things like that. And I, I am working in my painting studio. That's where I'm doing my design work now. And I was living a life in New York City where I worked four days a week on my design projects with my team and didn't work on Fridays uh, in the office. And I would work with my team remotely on Fridays, which is not dissimilar to what things are now. And I would paint my paintings. And I have not been able to do that. I've been not, I, I have, a painting sitting on the wall and staring at that I can't finish because the, the I don't want to paint <laughs> I don't want to paint in my design environment and vice versa. So it's a it's it's been stultifying to a degree. And then I just by coincidence got this commission to paint a Porsche, if you can believe it. And the Porsche is now in my basement, which is not my painting studio. It's my husband's paint. Uh, design archive down there and um the porsche is sitting there so paula to interrupt you just uh, when you say a porch you mean the entire structure of somebody's porch from their house is inside your house no a no a car a porsche Porsche. (laughs) (laughs) sorry this was a really important clarification how wait but also my question still stands how did you get a car in your basement there's a garage door okay. there. It's an archive for my husband. <laughs> really <laughs> there important. A, there is a car. There is a car sitting in my basement. Oh. It's a Porsche. And I, I, it was a commission. And I, I, I got this commission really almost a year ago. And the Porsche finally arrived. And it's sitting in the basement. And it's the first time I felt like really en- energized to, to make this thing. Um, and, of course, I've never painted a Porsche before. And it's really hard. And it's backbreaking. But the fact of the matter is that I think there's something about your environments that that make you feel different ways. And I'm in my in, in my favorite place in the world during COVID, which was my my house in the country, where I go and go for three days three day weekends with my husband and and do my painting. And as you saw, an abstract. And and here I was, and I couldn't paint in the place that I do that because the environments mean something to you. And so that you begin to change these things and they change the way you function and they change the way you work. Um, and unlike Jeff's generation, I did not feel particularly inspired politically. I felt more horrified politically because I spent my life being a political person and I found our government and, um, every condition of humanity in the United States is so overtly horrible that I, I felt completely overwhelmed and do still feel completely overwhelmed by it. I mean, I can't believe what's going on right now with this election that won't end. 
I, I mean, I've never experienced anything like this. I don't need, I feel like that it, a poster, no. <laughs> a stop paying your taxes or something. I mean, what do we do about something like this? It's much greater than what the normal solutions were. were. And we just, I just don't, I don't feel energized by it. I feel horrified by it and actually quite depressed, I think. Sorry to do this on the radio. No, that's reality. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, I think it's so um, significant to acknowledge this and to um, acknowledge the space that we're in as our identity is changing so many, you know, we're obviously very connected to the food and hospitality industries and that um, the whole industry is crushed and in crisis. And um, that's a, a unique position that we're in of looking to how do we support these industries that we cover, you know, when we're, you know, what can we do? We're a tiny nonprofit. So um, in so many ways, there are a lot of people with little amounts of power and big voices trying to figure out how to put that power to use. Um, so that's something we're thinking a lot about. Um, I'd be curious if you have any words of advice from sort of an identity and branding perspective for any of HRN's shows looking towards the future, or if you've had clients whose identity is changing because of the pandemic or because of events of 2020, um, any any advice for envisioning our place in the world going forward? I have to say that, you know, I'm bringing up the restaurant industry, which is obviously so hard hope hit. I am completely, maybe this is the one positive thing. I live on a restaurant and bar block in New York City. I live on 26th Street between um, 6th Avenue and Broadway. And um, I have absolutely loved, loved, loved what the restaurant tourists did on my block with all the outdoor dining, with the sunny flexibility about delivery. And that if this wasn't COVID, New York would have been fantastic. I mean, that what you saw is what is possible and that they had they have branded themselves in the way they've designed these spaces. And some of them are quite ingenious and they keep changing and getting better. And they're trying to figure out how to make it through the winter. And God, is this fantastic. It shows you the ingenuity of what they can do. And I don't think it's really about branding. I think it's, it's about their connection to what they do and how, caring and understanding they are about their customers and and how wonderful it is and i would do anything to preserve to preserve this kind of behavior because it's amazing i hope everybody who has a small restaurant can find the funds and and manage to do it and i sure hope there's a stimulus package soon i could not agree more with that statement um I think that this kind of conversation, we've touched on a lot of points here sort of about this has been an incredibly hard year politically, socially, you know, from many, many angles, but that there have been kind of moments of um, maybe not inspiration, but, you know, ingenuity or push, things that have pushed us to to change, to be creative, to be nimble. And I think that, Katie, I'm curious about your thoughts about this, but that you know, it's looking back, it seems kind of wild that we were able to pull off this type of a project as a small nonprofit this year of all years. 
However, you know, we typically, our team would be on the road like every month and we, we stayed so busy. And this year we couldn't go anywhere. You know, a lot of events and things got very quiet for our team. And so it actually allowed us the, the space and the time um, and some resources to be able to do this branding and identity project. So that's kind of, as we were talking about these things, one thing that I'm very grateful for um, and, you know, just Katie, kind of curious to hear a bit of your thoughts about how this all came together with to work with Paula and Jeff. Yeah, it's so um, the timing is is bizarre, right? Because we have been working towards this project and it's been part of our capital budget for for literally for years. We've been fundraising. We've been thinking about what it would mean, what our goals would be you know, writing various stages of RFPs as we are trying to wrap our own heads around what our needs were and where to even begin to look for the right people to help us do this. Um, But like Kat said, you know, we were constantly on the road, we were doing, you know, a million things. And we are still, um, you know, surprisingly, I think, busy and taking on new projects and learning new skills, particularly with the sort of remote universe and you know, just learning to do a virtual event like that is not something that was high on our priority list before this. Um, but I think staying in one place, even though our team is not all together, um, we are very connected. And, you know, Jeff, you made a reference to your trust and relationship with Paula having worked together for years. And our small team is also really, really tight and connected. And so I think it was easier for us than many to sort of shift to this remote operation, but it did give us a lot of opportunity to be introspective. Um, and I think a change of scene helped us to think about that and to dedicate the the time and the mental space to really think about each of our shows, to have conversations with all the hosts, to really understand the breadth of our project. Um, and, and Paula, you speaking about maps um, and your maps, I, I just... I can really understand, um, you know, not not only dividing your physical space between your projects of the design work with Pentagram and your maps, but just uh, the topic of maps right now is a really loaded one. We can't travel. It's really aching to think about the places we would be, the people we'd be with, what we would be eating. Um, and so, you know, this has been a time to sort of go into a bubble, I think, and to really sit with the project. Um, the The meeting where I first saw our three designs was um, right after we had had Hurricane Isais pass through. I had no power or internet at my house, so I, I drove to the beach <laughs> because that's where I could get cell signals so that I could um, have our meeting and see the designs. And so I saw the designs um, sitting, kind of looking at the Long Island Sound and having this new perspective. I'm living in a new city and um, having like, my surroundings are different. I'm secluded and having this space to kind of connect through these tunnels, almost it feels like with the team, with you, Paula and Jeff, and then to have these sort of images floating in between. It's like, um, it it reminds me of like a sci-fi movie where you're traveling through space through like a wormhole and you see things passing by. Um, That's a little bit of like the mental space that I've been in with this. And um, I think it has been uh, somewhat advantageous, like Kat said, to just be able to process in this context. Um, But it also speaks to how 
very fortunate HRN has been to have um, been in a position where we had had our savings built up before this year, where we were able to get a PPP loan, we were able to get an EIDL loan. Um, and so, you know, I also think it's it's just to our very great fortune that we've been able to do this. Um, and really to the credit of the strength of all the shows and the organization, um, I just could not feel more grateful. It's interesting. Um, the work I got this year, by and large, after COVID, and, and we had actually continued working with you before, but after were not-for-profit organizations. There was a, a theater, uh, a place that is an, an arts organization that supports um, young performers and all fine artists, um, a um, women's museum and um, a, a children's museum. And they were all doing what you were doing, is that they never had the time to actually address their identities because they were busy doing other things. And that's how they use their downtime and whatever part of their, their budgets they'd save um, for it. So it, it was funny that the, the projects came relatively all at the same period of time because uh, people were in the same situation you were. They were, you know, people who were busy creating programs and, and putting things on stage and having shows and doing whatever they were doing, and they never could get to, to the point where they could, could address this other thing that I would address. And some of them were even worse than you, I have to say. They really, they were, you know, it, it, you look at them and you, you thought, oh, you never had time for this. Um, but they did. And that, that was probably a good thing that they did during this period. Because you could. Well, um, we're coming up on the end of our time with you, Paula and Jeff. So um, I guess I'll, I'll wrap things up with kind of a final question. Um, we're obviously going to be revealing um, the, the project and the new identity early in 2021. So I'm just curious sort of if you have any final words of wisdom or, you know, things that you're excited or hopeful about as, as this project um, sees the light of day. Well, I hope you're... I'm, don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful and I am um, thankful to be part of this project. And I, you know, I, I can't wait to, you know, see how the identity evolves because, you know, once it's released, um, I'm sure it will, you know, take many different forms. And that's, you know, that's exciting. That's the exciting part of, you know, designing identities. I hope it works for you and your audience if that your audiences find it easy to use and, and um, are comfortable in it and that it increases your, your listeners. Me too, Paula. <laughs> and comfortable, but yeah. a little uncomfortable, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, just a, just a little <laughs> initially. initially. Um, I, I can't wait for everybody to see this new design, to see our new website, to see us out in the world again in person with our mic flags that are going to look so awesome with this new logo you're all going to get lots of gear we're so excited to have it it feels like a coming out party um in, in so many many ways and so um, we are just thrilled it's really hard to sit patiently while our web developers are working diligently to um, make sure the digital side comes to life um, so we are just sort of uh giddy over here with anticipation 
Thank you, Paula, and thank you, Jeff, so much. It has been a true honor for us to be able to work with you on this, and we're so excited for people to be able to see it. And thank you for spending some time with us today to talk through it, talk through this whole project. It's been it's been really fun. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having us. Good luck. Thank Congrats. Thank you. thank you so much. Thanks for listening and celebrating this momentous change with us at HRN. We're in it for the long haul, and if you are too, Please invest in the future of food radio today. Become a monthly sustaining member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. HR and Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community, subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.